when I grew up and when I used to go to the movies, there used to be this candy that we would buy all the time going to the movie theaters called tangy fruits. Anybody heard of tangy fruits? And if you're a bit older, you know what a tangy fruits are. It was like this little, there was this white little container, had a little, these candy in there, different fl- there was colors, you know, there was yellow, there was green, there was red, there was orange, and uh, there was, it was this amazing candy. What we used to do with the, can- with the tangy fruits, we'll go into the movie theaters and we used to roll the tangy fruits down the, down the stairs and just hear it go, Dig, 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 you know, in the middle of the theater, and we'll have a bit of a race, which is faster, a Jaffa or tangy fruit, and Jaffa, I don't know what a Jaffa is, not an Aucklander, a Jaffa is a, is a, is a chocolate um, that is surrounded, coated with um, candy, and it's red, and so, and so it's this amazing thing, and that's tangy, and, so, and tangy fruits is amazing, in fact, I, I love tangy fruits, it's one of my favorite candies, I wish they'll bring tangy fruits back, it's, it's not the same going to the movies without tangy fruits. I think the closest we can come to a tangy fruit is Skittles. I think Skittles may be the closest you can come to what a tangy fruit is. And you're probably wondering, why am I talking about a tangy fruit? And it's because it's, um, it's because I want everybody to say, say why, W-H-Y, why? And everyone say, tongue, tongue. So you go, why? And everyone say, tongue. And then everyone say, Two E's together. E. 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 So let's say it again. Y, tongue, E. That's right. There's no tangy fruits in there. So we can put our tangy fruit away. It's not Y tangy. Right? It's not Y tangy. It's Y tonguey. Y tonguey. There you go. There you go. It's, it's, it's amazing. You're probably wondering, where is he going with the tangy fruits? By the way, I love tangy fruits. And I really miss the red ones. It was really good. But Waitangi, Waitangi. So we're here, and um, it's, today is Waitangi Day. It's, it's the 6th of February, Waitangi. And in 1840, the Aotearoa, New Zealand's founding document was signed in 1840. Now, when I was growing up, I, I didn't really know much about our past. In fact, it wasn't really taught in our schools. All that was happened is that in 1840, a treaty was signed in the Bay of Plenty, an area called Waitangi. And it was signed there. And I just thought, well, the treaty was signed and everyone lived happily ever after, right? That's, that's what I thought growing up. And I thought that's what it was. I remember watching TV on Waitangi Day. I used to, one of my, the reason I loved Waitangi Day so much is because I had a day off, day off from school. Uh, and when I started working, I had a day off from work. And I thought, wow, I love Waitangi Day. It's the day off from working. Um, but I remember as a, younger, younger, young, a young man growing up, I'd be watching the news, and, and then I'll see on Waitangi there, there's like protests, and there's like people protesting, there's flags saying, honor the treaty. And, and I, you know, as a young man, I'll be thinking, oh, really? Oh, oh, really? Can't, can't we all just get along? Oh, really? Oh, here we go. After all, after all, it's been so long ago. You know, can't we just all just, all just live as one people? And, and, and this is what I thought. And the problem I had here is that I was actually ignorant, meaning I didn't understand. I didn't understand our past. I could just blame my upbringing. I could just blame, like, I didn't get taught that in school. No one told me. But, you know, when I got a bit older, I had kind of no excuse because all the information is there to learn about our past and to learn about what does Waitangi mean for Aotearoa, for New Zealand? What does it mean for us as a nation? And so um, going back on this journey, learning about the treaty, why the treaty was signed, it was humbling because it was no fairy tale. 
There was no fairy tale. No treaty was signed, and they lived happily ever after. So just to give us a kind of a picture of, of, of what it looked like, if you're looking for a title for today's message, it is Waitangi. Waitangi. Yeah, Waitangi. Keep your tangy fruits at home. Okay. Waitangi. Now, the Treaty of Waitangi is our founding document. Now, Māori are tangata whenua. Tangata whenua. People of the land. They're tangata whenua. So therefore, if Māori are tangata whenua, then we tōiwi or Pākehā or non-Māori, therefore we are tangata tiriti. Tangata tiriti. And what that means, it means that those who belong to the land by right of the treaty, by right of the, of the treaty, whether you, Pākehā meaning of that was more of, from, of a European descent, or tōiwi, which means non-Māori, we come from another, come from Japan or wherever, you are now tōiwi here in Aotearoa. And we are connected to this land via the treaty. We are tangata tiriti, right? And so our, our rights to this land is through the treaty, because of the treaty. So that's why the, the treaty of Waitangi, or te tiriti or Waitangi, is so important to us. And we should honor this treaty because it's, it's, it's what ties us and binds us as a nation. And, and, and it is kind of a, a shame that none of us really, most Kiwis don't really know too much about it, about this important document. And what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us today? And how do we navigate through the difficult circles of this? And so the, the Treaty of Waitangi, or, or Te Tiriti or Waitangi, was, was signed in 1840 on the 6th of February by the Crown, and the representative of the Crown was, was Hobson. He was representative, and, a, and by 40 rangatira, uh, Maori chiefs in that area, he signed a... Te uh, Tiriti or Waitangi. That's the, the Te Reo Māori version of the treaty, and this is what they signed. So just give us a bit of a bigger picture. What was Aotearoa like in 1840? What was Aotearoa like in 1840? In 1840, Māori numbered 200,000. 200,000 Māori were in Aotearoa. There were about 2,000 Pākehā in Aotearoa, which means... The population, Māori population in Aotearoa was 99% Māori here, right? And, and Pākehā only made 1%. But yet, Māori, wanted, Māori were willing to enter into, into a covenant relationship with, with, with Pākehā to come together and to learn to share this land. So Māori outnumbered, and not only did 1840, not only did they outnumber Pakia, but they were, they were, um, they were exporting goods internationally. They were exporting gifts, uh, goods. They had their own trading ships. They were trading. In fact, in eighteen in eighteen thirty five, on the twenty eighth of October, there was a signing of of um, of what was known as the the, the dependence of the, the dependence of of I'm trying to get this word, word, confederation of chiefs. Oh man, that, that's a big word for me. Uh, just gonna break it down to small bites. And so, and so, uh, Aotearoa was in, um, was an independent nation, recognised internationally. They had their own flag, um, and you see, this, you'll see this flag um, flown from time to time. And it's, this was the first flag of Aotearoa, and, and, and it was on their sailing ships, and it was recognised by international law. So, so they had their own trading ships, and they, and they had their own fisheries, and they, and, they, and they were doing commercial fishing. In fact, the first um, cows imported to Aotearoa 
uh, with, with, with the Māori. They imported. So the first dairy farmers here were the Māori. So they were, and they were expertly um, uh, were farming their lands. They had mills all over the place. They were trading. And they were, I'll tell you, it was just amazing in terms of what they were doing and what they were doing with the resource sources. And they were reaching the world, trading with the world. And, and uh, this is what they're doing. So with all that being said, then why would Māori want to enter into a treaty, into a covenant relationship with Pākehā if, if everything was going, for, going well for them in the first place? You know, they, they had industry going, everything was going, they were farming, and, they were, and, and um, the gospel, there was a, um, there, um, there was a revival in Aotearoa uh, where many Māori would come to know Christ. In fact, um, history would tell us that 90% of Aotearoa Aotearoa Māori become, have become followers of Jesus, 90%. That's huge. That's one of the greatest revivals anyway, and it's spread right through this land, right through in the 1800s. But So why would they want to enter into relationship? And the issue was the lawlessness and disorder by most Europeans who landed on these shores. In fact, the missionaries will go on to describe these lawless um, disorderly behavior of, of the Europeans who are landing on the shores, they will go on to describe them as the scourge of the Pacific. The scourge of the Pacific. That's what the, the missionaries will call the, these um, sailors that will come and all these whalers and all these other. They, call, they will call them the scourge of the Pacific because they were so lawless and they were law unto themselves. And, and not only that, um, that uh, more and more people come, the, the French were arriving and there was this French guy who, who, who kind of declared himself um, king of, of New Zealand, and, and he had, he had uh, illegally uh, obtained a whole bunch of land up north, and, and he was going to come to annex Aotearoa, bring the, the French um, navy to off, and, and that was going on, and there was a guy by the name of Edward Wakefield. He had on-sold land to all these people in England. He didn't have any land. He went and sold, he got the money from them, and so now they've got ship, shiploads of colonists arriving here in Aotearoa, but there's no, there's no land to give. There was no land. They're all on the way. He's got all their money. So he went around and got all their money, and um, basically he banked it all to him for himself, and he used a little bit of fraction to go and do some back, backhand deals to try to obtain some lands illegally. And, and that area, come to, we've come to know that area is Wellington and Nelson. <laughs> okay? So this is the whole thing. This is all that was going on. And if you go to Wellington, there's Wakefield Street. Um, there's a Wakefield Hotel, there's all these things. And it's named after this guy, Edward Wakefield. It's an interesting character because before he went on and did this, he got arrested because he kidnapped a 15-year-old baroness because he wanted to marry her so he can get the inheritance. So he gets arrested. While he was in jail, he came up with the scheme of how I can get more money by going to New Zealand and selling land I don't have. And that's how he made his, um, made his fortune. That's Edward Wakefield. He formed the New Zealand company. So this was all going on. There's all this craziness going on. And we need to understand when it comes to the, the Maori political order, to the Maori uh, worldview, according to Maori, rangatira were responsible to and for their own hapu. Rangatira were responsible to and for their own hapu. So, so for our Maori worldview will then look at, actually, you queen, queen of England, you need to be, be responsible for your subjects who are coming here causing issue. Causing issue. So you need to be responsible. And this is why they wanted to enter into a relationship. Because they, they realized people were coming. Lawlessness was happening. And so what they wanted to do was invite 
invite the crown to come and, and, and to enter into an agreement together in the in te, te, te Riti or Waitangi. Reason that was written up is so that the, the queen can come set up government here in Aotearoa so that they can rule their people here and share this land with Māori and Māori will, will rule their people and somehow form a government together of co-governance. But number one was Māori still held their sovereignty. The queen had her sovereignty. She, she ruled, and this was the idea of the Treaty of Waitangi, and this is what it was supposed to be, and this is why they wanted to enter into this, this, uh, this relationship. Well, this is a very generous offer, if you ask me, from Māori to, uh, to people. So Captain William Hobson, he sent here to New Zealand to, to negotiate a treaty. And what's really interesting is that when he gets here, um, they had gathered Māori rangatira together so they can talk about this treaty and to discuss, negotiate, and then sign it. Now, the problem was they didn't have enough food for everyone. So now Māori were like, there's no food here, so we're, gonna, we're just going to go back. Why would we stay here? Like, at least have a bucket of KFC or something for us, but there's nothing. There's, where's, where's the hangi? Where's the food? They're running out of food. And so they're going to go. So all of a sudden, William Hobson, he's like, okay, we need to get onto this, you know, we need to get onto this treaty. And so they rushed the draft of the treaty. And actually, Hobson wasn't the one who wrote the treaty. It was a secretary, uh, his secretary, uh, Freeman, as well as James Busby, who was the British resident within New Zealand. They drafted up the first quick draft, it was a draft copy of the Treaty of Waitangi. And so then they asked missionary Henry Williams, who had been amongst the Maori people for 20 years, if he can then translate that into Te Reo Maori. Now, the, the problem here, if you've ever done translations before, it is very difficult to do, it's trying to get the right words and try to, to do all these things. Now, and normally that will take months to do, a document like it will take months, while Henry Williams and his son Edward only had one night. One night to translate this document into Te Reo Māori, right? And so they work right through the night and they translate this document. Now, on the 6th of February, uh, William Hobson was so rushed to get this treaty, there was such that he didn't have time to get into his, his officer's regalia, his officer's costume. He just went there wearing his normal civilian clothing. He went in there, and there they presented and they debated and discussed the Treaty of Waitangi. And what was signed was the Maori translation of the treaty. Te Tiriti o Waitangi. That is what was signed. In fact, that's, that, that is what William Hobson signed as representative of the crown. Right? And then they lived happily ever after. No. No, they didn't. Why? Because there was an issue with the translation. Because according to the Maori version of the treaty is different to the English translation of the treaty. What's really fascinating is that the English translation didn't, the actual document didn't get written up till March. All they had was the te Tiriti or Waitangi, that's all they had. And, this is, this is their, and, and on this document, over 500 rangatira signed the Māori version of the treaty, including William Hobson, who was the representative of the crown. Now, the major difference between the two was, according to the Māori translation of the treaty, is that the chiefs, the rangatira, they held sovereignty. They, they still had their own sovereignty to rule their people. And according to the, to the Te Reo Māori version of the treaty, um, the crown, 
the queen, she has rights to come set up government to rule her people. That was the, that's what the translation is. In the English translation is that Māori give up their sovereignty to the queen, and the queen becomes sovereign of them all. That was the English translation. So already there was already the, the, those kind of issues, all those kind of issues going on there. But even in the English translation, in the English translation, there was a bit of a contradiction. It's a, you give up your sovereignty, but then the second article talks about um, Māori have the rights for the protection of their tonga, what's precious to them. So there was a contradiction in the English. There's a contradiction in the English translation. In Māori, there's no contradiction. It's, it's quite straightforward. So this is the issue. This was the problem. This was going forward. In essence, what Māori agreed to was, come here, form a government to rule your own people, and we will govern our own. But let us learn to govern this land together. Let us let two people come together and learn to share this land. That's, that is pretty generous, considering that Māori were 90%, 99% of the population. Today, Māori is 17% of the population. Right? And sometimes you can say, well, you know... They're only 17% of the population. Do we still need to uphold it? Well, when they were 99%, they were upholding the treaty when there was only 1%. And so um, it's very interesting, very fascinating. So which version is right? Is, is the Te Reo Māori version right or is the English version right? Now, if you ask me, the one that is right is the one that everyone signed, not the one that was produced a month later, the one that was signed. What's interesting is that what the crown took as the right translation was the English version produced in March. They, the crown, and this is where the issue started to begin. And there began the slippery slope of the covenant, the treaty covenant, being broken time and time again. So the treaty that was supposed to protect Māori sovereignty, Māori's rights and resources, would go on to be broken. The years that followed, and just a short, just a small bit, land was confiscated, taken off. And in fact, in, in, in 1858, Maori population had got down to 67,000 because of influenza that come from overseas and the flu that come decimated the populations. And in fact, Maori and Pakeha population were now the same. And then a couple years later was the war for land. So again, the treaty was not honored. Land was confiscated. Legislation uh, came about forbidding Māori from fishing commercially. They couldn't own their own vessels. They couldn't own their own commercial rights. It was taken away from English-only policies in Māori schools. Māori children weren't allowed to speak their language. In fact, only four seats in Parliament were given to Māori to ensure that they never become the dominant uh, voices in Parliament, because there was this whole fear, like, well, if once they start voting, we can't have too much Maori, and they'll start voting their people in there. So then a law was passed that they were only allowed four seats in Parliament. And I'm not just—I'm I'm not even scratching the surface of terms of what happened of this treaty, where this this beautiful picture we all lived happily ever after wasn't actually true. And when I share this thing, we've been doing this series. Work has always been that kind of nervous time for us because sometimes it can become right in our face. And I share this not for us to feel guilty, not to feel like, oh, man, I feel really bad. What can I, you know, oh, my answers. Hey, look, you know, myself, my, my, father is, my father's family arrived from England in 1860. And they settled in Topuri, Huntley, 
in, and in Ngārawahia in the 1860s. So therefore, my father's side, they were, they were one of the first settlers here, benefactors of the war. And when I hear that, I'm, well, I'm quite humbled. And then on my mother's side, from the Cook Islands, Takitumu, then I realized my ancestors 800 years ago sailed here to Aotearoa. And there's this kind of collision of my ancestry lines going on between my dad's side, who come here, and then my mum's side. And, and it's, it's actually quite humbling. And I think, wow, this is powerful. And here we are today, just learning a past. And, and for me, this is like, okay, God, what is it you want us to do? What can we do? And the answers come from the Bible. What does the Word of God say? How do we navigate forward? We can't change our past. But we can, choose, we can choose the best for our future now, today. And when we base it upon the Word of God, the Word of God will begin to open up and help us navigate these difficult waters. So when we get to, if you want to know what does covenant actually mean, let's go to the Bible. A covenant according to the Word of God is a, is a chosen relationship or partnership in which two parties make a binding promise to each other to work together to reach a common goal. Think of a marriage. For instance, yesterday I did a wedding. It was beautiful. And you've got, you've got a, a man and woman coming together, making a marriage covenant together where they'll, where they'll agree to love and to work together. And if you, if you know what marriage, if you've ever been in a relationship, there's this whole thing of learning to live together uh, and uh, sometimes you have to, you know, but if one dominated the other, that's not a healthy relationship. It's about two coming together. And so a healthy covenant is two working together. When one dominates the other, that's when you get broken covenants. And so a marriage covenant, a marriage is a covenant. So, in fact, this is actually what you see in the beginning of the Bible. When you go to the book of Genesis, God creates this amazing good world full of potential. And then he appoints these creatures, these human beings made in his image as his partners. And he partners with them to to, to bring more goodness out of this beautiful potential of a world, and he creates them to partner with them. But there was a problem. The humans didn't want to partner with God. They didn't want to partner with him. And they rebel, and they try to create a world on their own terms. Isn't that true of us? I want to, create my, I want to run my life my own way, and no one's going to tell me what to do. Certainly not God. And this is an issue that we've had right from the beginning of broken covenants. But would God invite you to come, right, and, and be in partnership with it? But humanity breaks God's partnership and agreement. This broken partnership is the Bible's explanation for why we're stuck in a world of corruption, why we're stuck in a world of injustice, the tragedy of death. This is, why, this is what the Bible talks about, why we find ourselves in this place. So what do we do? What, what happens in the story? Right? It culminates with humanity breaking God's covenant, turning away from God. And, and it culminates, if you, if you know the Bible, the story of the Tower of Babel, where humanity, again, rebels against God. It's, it's almost like humanity giving God the finger. That's what it was like. And this is how bad, how serious it is, giving God the finger. So God then fixed his focus from humanity to one man. One man, and he calls a man by the name of Abraham. 
and the purpose of, 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 and he makes a covenant with Abraham. And he says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you land. I'm going to increase, I'm going to make a nation out of you. But the reason I'm doing this is because I'm, uh, you are going to be blessed. But not only will you be blessed, but the world will be blessed. Humanity may have given up on God, but God never gave up on humanity. And he begins to start with one man, and through this one man, this, the purpose of this covenant was to bring restoration to all of humanity, to bless all of humanity. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 to 3, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And that's the whole reason of this covenant, is that God will somehow bring his blessing to all of his family. So then the next time we see God make a covenant is when Abraham's family grows and it becomes a tribe. And so now God makes a covenant with the whole tribe. And, and many of us know the story. Uh, it's the Ten Commandments. Moses on Mount Sinai and God makes a covenant with his people. And God promises to bless them and, and that they will become his people. And, and the reason why God wanted the people to follow his his commandments, his laws, was that when they, is because when they trust in God and follow his way, then they will become an example to all the nations around them. They'll become priests of God, kings and priests, and become um, an example to the nations around them. And this is why God makes this covenant with them. And then Exodus chapter 24, verse 3, this is the people's response to God's covenant. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said, we will do. Right? This is great. Good on you people. Making good covenants with God. God's made a covenant with you. Now, the, the tribe of Israel will grow and grow and it becomes a great nation. And the nation is now is now ruled by King David. And then God makes a covenant with King David. Makes another, and covenant's about relationship. And God asks David to partner with him by leading Israel and obeying the law and doing what is right and just. And God promises that one day, one day, one of David's sons will come and extend God's kingdom of peace and blessing all over the nations. Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 16 to 17. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This is God speaking to, to David. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. So those are the three kind of main covenants that God makes with humanity. It's, we've got the Abrahamic covenant, we've got the Mosaic covenant, and we've got the Davidic covenant. And, I, and there was a, there's actually another covenant God makes, is the, the Noahic, Noahic covenant, and it's when God promises not to flood the earth back in Noah's day. That's, that's a, there's a four covenants that God makes with humanity. And the purpose of God making his covenant with humanity is restoration, to restore humanity back into right partnership with him. And this was God's plan. This was God's, this was God's desire for humanity. But here's what actually happened, right? Because they said, oh, and then they lived happily ever after, right? This beautiful story, this amazing covenant, and they all lived happily. But here's what actually happened. Israel breaks the covenant. Breaks covenant 
after covenant after covenant. Remember what, what I said uh, when God, this, this with Moses and, and the people, and Lord, we'll, we'll listen, we'll follow your commands. You know, as soon as God made a covenant with Israel on, on Mount Sinai, right? And it's like a wedding. It's like a wedding. Here's Moses, he's walking down with the, with the tablets, with the Ten Commandments on these tablets. What does he find? He finds people worshiping the golden bull. On the day they made an agreement to worship God. It's kind of like on the wedding day, the groom goes and sleeps with someone else. The bride goes and sleeps on the wedding day. They break the covenant on the actual day, and they break covenant after God extends his hand to humanity, giving humanity a way out. And Israel begins to break covenant after covenant. They begin to worship other gods, worship other idols. Um, They begin to sacrifice their children. What happens when God's rescue plan needs rescuing? Because this is what happens. God's rescue plan needs rescuing, right? It's kind of like the, the fire truck is on its way, but now it's fallen over the ditch. Now the fire truck needs rescuing. God never gives up on humanity. We, you may give up on God. God never gives up on you. He never gives up on you. So it seems hopeless but during this time, Israel's prophets talk about a day when God will restore these covenants. In spite of Israel's failure, which is good news for you and I, that when we fail, that God will restore you. And they call it the new covenant. Jeremiah 30, 31, 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Israel. Of Judah. You know what's really interesting about this? What's interesting is, is Jesus, is that when Jesus is finally introduced in the story in the New Testament, he's introduced as the one who fulfills all these covenant relationships, right? We're told that he's from the family of Abraham, so that he will bring the blessings of the family to the whole world. We are told that he is the faithful Israelite who was able to truly obey the law. And we are told that he is the king from the line of David. That Jesus begins to restore relationship after relationship after relationship. God, Jesus begins to restore covenant after covenant after covenant. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 15 says this. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. That those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. So Jesus goes on about extending God's kingdom of justice and peace to all. And see, we need to understand Jesus is no mere human, but rather he is God become human. God did this in order to be the faithful covenant partner that we were made to be, but have failed to be. That Jesus becomes the human that we are meant to be. That Jesus restores covenant after covenant after covenant, which means no matter how far you fall, no matter how far you walk away from God, God's hand of restoration is always up through the life of Jesus. Jesus brings a way back. 
brings us back in right relationship. Have you ever made covenants with God? Have you said, oh God, if, if, if this happens, if, if you come through my finances, I'm going to start going to church. Or, or you know, if you do this for me, then I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. Lord, if you do, I, 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 I promise I'm going to, stop, going to stop smoking, I'm going to stop drinking, I'm going to stop doing, doing, I'm going to stop doing all these things. And then we break it and we break it and we break it and we break it and we break it. And then we get this voice, the voice of the enemy saying, and you think you're a Christian. I don't think you, you think you're worthy enough? And then we get to the point of like, man, I, I can't. And it gets to the point of way that we're so ashamed that we won't go forward. But God loved you so much. In spite, this, in spite of the fact that we spat in his face. In spite of the fact that we walked away. In spite of the fact that we no longer wanted to partner with him. That he loved you so much that he steps into his creation and he bounds himself in flesh. And he becomes the true covenant partner that we are meant to be. And on the cross, he dies for all your sin, your greatest regrets, so that you have a way back, that we have a way back. And this is what Jesus does for us, and this is what the covenant. A covenant restore looks like. You know what that means? It means there's always hope. Covenant gives hope. It means there's hope for the Treaty of Waitangi. There's hope. There's hope. What does, it, what does this mean for us? It means that if you ever made a promise to God but failed, it means Jesus has opened a way for you to come back. If you've had a setback, I love this, I love this saying. If you had a setback, get ready for a comeback. Jesus invites us into a new way of living, to become covenant people, to live a life of righteousness, right? Righteousness is a relationship word. We, we, we spoke about this not so long ago. It's a relationship word. You can be a good person by yourself, but you can't be a righteous person by yourself. Because the only way you know a person is righteous is by how they treat people. To do right by people. And you might be here saying, well, I'm, I'm obviously not righteous, but you can choose today. You can choose today. And I love that. Jesus makes a way. You can choose today to do right by people. And when you do right by people, you do right by God. Righteous. Because He is, not because we are righteous, but because he is righteous. So how do we do right by the treaty? Number one, it's not an us and them kind of thing, but it's us coming together as community. And I'm not sure where you are with the, with the Maori language, but it's another step we can is actually learn to how do we pronounce the words properly. When I first moved to Hamilton, I'll be, oh, I just use Waikato, Waikato, Waikato Chiefs, Waikato Rugby Team. And that's because everyone else said it, I said, so I said the same. But when I started to, to learn a thing about language and things like that, once you learn something, it's hard to unlearn it. And I realized, actually, the correct way to say it is Waikato. And by me saying Waikato, I honor the Maori who live here by making an effort to connect, making an effort. With, and you know, when you learn someone's, when you go overseas as a missionary, or when you travel overseas and when you welcome someone in their language, konnichiwa, it goes a long way. Learning their language. And as, the, as treaty partners, 
We're called to uphold each other, love one another, and work together. So we can leave our tangy fruits at home. All right? And you know what? All it takes is one step. It's not, I'm not asking you to go out there and become, a, <laughs> become an activist. Oh, you know, I'm not, not saying that at all. What I am saying is one step, one step. It's about loving one another, understanding, not judge. It's so easy for us to judge. You know, um, on Monday, Monday gone, we went to Raglan to jump off the bridge. And when we went to Raglan, there was, there was like, this, um, like this little protest on the, the little runway, the... Uh, there in Raglan, that little, what is that? Is that a, what do you call that? It's runaway airstrip. All the grass is recreational kind of thing. And there was this protest on there. And there's like the flag, there was something, it said, honor the treaty on there. And you know what? My old self would have been like, oh, really? God, God. Can't we sort this out by now? Oh, oh, really? Can't we all just get along? You know, but you know, I was like, when we drove by, I was going, wow, I wonder, I wonder what the story is behind here. So listen to understand. Listen to understand. It's amazing if we begin to listen to understand, maybe the issues we have with people, I'm not just talking about the truth, I'm talking about our life. If we begin to listen to understand, maybe the issues we have with people, we won't have those issues because we took the time to see their point of view. Because we have a preference, we have our own point of view. And our point of view is always correct. After all, it is our point of view. But when we learn to look at it from a different angle and see what they see, and then we learn to understand and appreciate one another. And we left there, and then we went to Manu Bay, and it was flat. So we ended up swimming. Who goes swimming at Manu Bay? (laughs) There was no waves, no nothing. It was flat. And while we were swimming, I really felt this is of God. This Maori couple come and swam next to us. And we got chatting. Just got chatting, and then... Um, he goes, hey, kia ora. Oh, kia ora, bro. How's it going? Yeah, it's all good. And then ask, and they start sharing, and then go, oh, where's your, where's your family from? Oh, from the Cook Islands. And go, oh, kia ora. Oh, kia ora. And uh, they go, oh, we love the Cook Islands. We want, we would love to retire there. And I was going, oh, well, I love it. I love it too. And yeah, so uh, it was great. We were getting on really well. And then I asked the question, so tell me what's happening. What's, tell me about the, the airstrip in, uh, in, at Raglan in town there. And then they began to share what was going on. And you know what's really interesting? It really wasn't, it really wasn't like a, a, just a Maori thing. It was a community thing. It was, it was Maori, Pākehā, Tauiwi. It was, it was a whole community. What had happened? I'm not getting into the debate who's right or wrong. <laughs> so council had put, had put up um, like barriers along the airstrip. And you think, oh, that makes sense. But here's the thing. For the last 75 years or so, the community had been walking across to get to the sea, to enjoy the sea. All of a sudden, council puts this up saying, hey, you know what? It's health and safety. And the community was like, we've been walking through here for 75 years. It's a, it's a recreational thing. And, it's a, and, uh, and, you know, and so they had this big, big thing with the council. Council put up, the whole, put up, put up some um, fences. Someone cuts the fence down. They put it up again. It's like cutting down a flagpole. And so, uh, and so, and so and the thing it was a community thing. And you know, you know what, what I realized? This thing, this, the, the flag they're showing is honor the treaty. The honor the treaty wasn't just protecting Māori, but it was there to protect Pākehā. It was there to protect the people who lived in, in Raglan. Māori, Pākehā, Tauiwi, together, protecting for their rights that they can go together. Because the treaty is our treaty. It protects us. 
It honors us. It's learn to understand. Listen to understand. And this is our journey. We've got a long way to go. But we've got a journey together. Come on, just going to pray.